Hi, and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Meg Llewellyn, and I'm an associate in Ropes and Gray's Healthcare Practice Group, where I focus on healthcare transactions and regulatory matters. With me today are Marty Ruhak and John Saran. Marty is a partner in Ropes and Gray's Private Capital Transactions Group, where he represents clients throughout the private equity industry and specializes in designing deal structures that help clients optimize value and navigate strategic opportunities in diverse industries. John is counsel in Ropes and Gray's Healthcare Practice Group, where he advises and represents healthcare companies, private equity investors, and other strategic investors in guiding these entities through complicated mergers and acquisitions and public offerings. Thank you, Mag, for the introduction. Uh, we are excited to discuss this important topic. I want to start with the recent history of increased government interest in private equity funded healthcare entities. John, when did we see this interest ramp up? Thanks, Meg. After the change in the last administration, we saw a shift begin in August of 21, when the U.S. Senate Finance Committee launched an inquiry into a for-profit hospice company. The committee's main inquiry was wondering how the private equity model and the hospice care model aligned. So in the letter notifying the company of the inquiry, the committee expressed a need for more information on what they characterized as a unique business dynamic where the desire to generate profits could be sought at the expense of dying patients and their families. Although the committee acknowledged that there are other private equity-funded healthcare entities out there, the committee particularly questioned this model in the hospice industry. The committee cited a health affairs study that claimed private equity investment throughout the country's healthcare system has increased 20-fold in the past two decades. Thank you, John. What kind of information did the committee seek? In addition to various hospice industry-specific metrics, the committee required a list of every private equity fund that invested since 2011, as well as the investment date, total amount vested, resulting ownership stake, and the date of divestment. That seems like quite the deep probe. Where did the committee or other federal government bodies look to next? The committee did not engage in any further public activity towards PE-backed healthcare entities, but after President Biden's State of the Union address in March of 2022, we saw the federal government's focus shift to private equity ownership of nursing homes. Interesting. Do we know the impetus for focusing on nursing homes next? Right before the State of the Union address, the White House released a fact sheet that shined a spotlight on unprecedented numbers of deaths in the nursing home industry during the pandemic. As part of that, the administration cited a study that showed private equity owned 5% of the nursing home market in 2018. The administration's research suggested that resident outcomes were worse in private equity-owned nursing homes, and that such private equity-owned nursing homes also led to increased Medicare costs. Accordingly, the, the Biden administration and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services announced their plan to conduct a multi-pronged effort to improve quality of care, protect residents and employees, and to take action against, quote-unquote, bad actors. Hmm, Interesting. So what have we seen CMS and other federal agencies do to target private equity in these efforts? Good question, Meg. So in February 2023, CMS published an official proposed rule that would require nursing home facilities to report ownership and management information. This is the information that CMS noted they're specifically trying to gather in private equity firms. Again, they cited the increase in private equity funded nursing homes as correlative to the decline in nursing home quality. Relatedly, Two months later, in April 2023, the Department of Health and Human Services released ownership data for all Medicare-certified hospices, home health agencies, and skilled nursing facilities to outline each entity's ownership type, among other related facts. 
Beyond this, it is worth noting that the Federal Trade Commission is known to have a hostile view of private equity firms and has been concerned about strategies employed by PE firms to roll up physician practices through multiple acquisitions below the HSR notification threshold. Not surprisingly, the FTC has warned about increased enforcement in this area. John, thank you for that overview. As I understand it, the federal government is not alone in its desire for more transparency with private equity-funded healthcare entities. Have state governments hopped on the trend? Uh, yes, and, and in a very large way. Over the past few years, we have started to see a rise in states enacting laws aimed at regulating healthcare access, cost, and quality. And to help distill the range of state law enactments, we have released this podcast series detailing these state laws as they have crept up on the West Coast and, and the East Coast. There, we define what types of transactions each state law captures, what entities need to be involved, what penalties may be associated, and what we view as the current and potential enforcement landscape. Overall, our research found that many state governments have enacted laws granting state officials the power to review and potentially block many types of healthcare transactions under the notion that the transaction may significantly and or adversely affect healthcare access, cost, and quality. Thank you, Marty. And as our focus today is how these changes affect private equity's participation in healthcare transactions, do you see any state law enactments focusing on private equity similar to the federal government's recent actions? We do, as a matter of fact. Uh, Oregon's law provides the most explicit reference to PE by including private equity firms holding a 25% or greater interest in a healthcare entity within its definition of, of healthcare entities subject to review. We see this intent directly play out in those transaction Oregon reviews. Two of the eight completed transactions reviewed to date involve private equity firms. Although both of those transactions were approved without conditions, Oregon's body of review, the OHA, used its public review summaries to highlight outside research and interest group commentary on the alleged negative effects of private equity's ownership and control of healthcare entities, as well as the federal government's recent probe into ownership and control of healthcare entities. Interest group commentary. What is the connection between these interest groups and the reviewed transaction that would warrant the inclusion of their commentary in this report? That's a good catch. Uh, when the transacting parties submit notification of their transaction to OHA, Oregon allows third parties to submit official comments regarding the proposed transaction. These third parties are often interest groups, such as the Oregon State Public Interest Research Group and SEIU Local 49. Both groups were in favor of Oregon's law and the increase in oversight and against the transactions under review. In particular, both groups heavily criticized private equity's role in the transactions because of what they characterized as significant misalignment in business practices and financial goals between private equity firms and healthcare entities. Have we seen OHA acknowledge these comments from public interest groups and take specific actions against private equity-backed healthcare companies? Uh, yes, we have. Oregon cited two specific reports of concerns. One was regarding how private equity's billing practices may seek to maximize profits at the expense of patient experience. And the second cautioned how private equity's cost-cutting strategies may reduce an entity's quality of care. OHA gave no opinion on the merits of those reports, but indicated it will monitor the transaction's impact on healthcare spending and quality outcomes and follow-up reviews of these transactions. Hmm. This regulation seems like it will have a massive impact on deal structure, cost, and timing for private equity-backed deals with an Oregon presence. But John, are we seeing other states follow Oregon's lead? Yes and no, Meg. While states have proposed bills that could pick up private equity-backed deals, only a few thus far directly call out PE. One interesting example is the published Model Act for State Oversight of Proposed Healthcare Mergers put out by the National Academy of State Health Policy in November of 21. 
This included a specific call out to healthcare transactions involving private equity firms. Now, Maine recently proposed a bill with this language, but the bill is still in very early stages. Despite these examples, other states proposing similar policies are careful not to directly call out PE. For example, New York State recently passed a law implementing pre-closing notice requirements for qualifying material transactions. While earlier versions of this law outlined the intention to capture investor-backed platforms, this particular language was removed in the final version. Thank you, John. New York being home to some of the largest private equity-backed physician practice deals we've seen to date, this new law could have huge implications for future private equity deals, even without the investor-backed language. What's next? Well, at this time, it's difficult to tell. As we discussed in the East Coast podcast, New York State only requires notice of transactions, but the information submitted will become public. There is a chance that the New York AG could bring actions to impede transactions. We do not anticipate that happening at this time. In time, though, New York State could pass a more comprehensive version of the law to require approval. Even though the current law is watered down from its original proposal, we still need to see the related regulations and how it will be enforced. When the law first passed, we received several calls and emails from concerned private equity investors. Thank you, Marty. New York's choice to narrow its authority in the final version is an interesting turn. John, are there any exceptions that might be helpful for your private equity clients? In the enacted version, there's an exception for de minimis transactions, which are considered those transactions that result in a healthcare entity increasing its total gross in-state revenues by less than $25 million. However, the wording of this carve-out is ambiguous. When a private equity company first acquires a healthcare entity or sells it to a third party, the revenue of such healthcare entity does not increase. That's particularly the case in the management service organization context. So can this exception provide peace of mind for private equity firms buying and selling healthcare entities? This exception would also be helpful in the add-on context, where portcos could acquire smaller platforms so long as the resulting increase in revenue was under the $25 million threshold. Very interesting point, John. Do you expect any resolution on this anytime soon? I would expect that this is clarified in the regulations or guidance, so it'll be important to continue following this process. From everything we discussed, it seems private equity-backed healthcare entities could be at the crosshairs of the federal and state government for the next few years. How would you both advise private equity companies seeking to continue working in the healthcare space? We are still in the early stages of many of these state laws, so it will take some time for the state agencies to refine their enforcement priorities and overall goals of their programs. If they overstep too far and capture several broader national platforms, then it will only be a matter of time before we see parties challenge their authority and those programs. On the federal side, it seems the focus is on nursing homes, but we will see where the enforcement tide goes next. Taking into account both what we do know and what is still pending, I think the best advice is to focus investment in operations that promote better quality of care, access to care in underserved markets, and lower costs to patients. Great points, John and Marty. Thank you both again for lending your time and expertise to this conversation. If those listening would like more information on this topic or our private capital transactions or healthcare groups, don't hesitate to contact us or visit our resource center where we house a list of every podcast in this series. Other Ropes and Grade podcasts are available to listen and subscribe to wherever you regularly find your podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.